Carrie was one of those people who you walk in the room and you notice them. He had a big energy. He had a huge laugh. He was known for impressive hugs. He was passionate. He was excited about life. He believed in social justice and working for people who were underrepresented or had disabilities. Carrie was a problem solver and he was hopeful and he was alive and committed to having a life. He had so many close friends and so many people he was excited to know about and a big and loving family. And so the hopeless person who couldn't see a way out of the pain that he had been in for so long and who felt like he was a burden and like he would never live up to the expectations that he had for himself. I don't know that person. I try to look back and to understand and also to see where I went wrong. But it's difficult. And I think the pain was a huge component. He had developed bilateral pain in his wrists after two years in law school. And everybody said it was tendonitis because law students type all the time. And that made sense. But it didn't get better. And the pain spread into his thumbs... So he had a hard time gripping things for a long time. And then it spread up into his elbows. And then into his shoulders and his back and his knees. And the doctors didn't have answers as far as what it was or how to treat it. And they weren't managing his pain well, I thought. He was willing to try just about anything to make it stop. He had tried all kinds of vitamin supplements and every type of physical therapy you can think of, and some doctor had put him on testosterone treatment. And so I think there was a level of desperation in trying to figure out what was going on, what was wrong, how to fix it. It's so hard looking back. You can say, I should have done this differently, or I should have done that differently. But I didn't know I was supposed to. He was in pain. Things were hard. But things were also really good. We had really good times. The last times I saw him when I was helping him to pack. That was a normal weekend for us. You know, we saw friends. We went out. We laughed and talked. Gary and I went out for ice cream at a place that he had been talking about for four years and we had never gone to and like you know 80 different types of ice cream or something like that and Carrie had this thing where he didn't like to order whatever I ordered whenever we went out like why should we eat the same thing we're out at some place where we can get anything and inevitably he would ask me first like what are you gonna have and I would tell him and he would always say that's what I wanted (laughs) but wouldn't get it 
But this time we split an ice cream. It was chocolate with some chocolate chunks in it. And we sat outside eating ice cream and watching other people's kids. And he said, someday we're going to do that too. I think things must have changed so quickly for him that maybe he didn't even realize how bad it was until it was that bad and then it was too late. I didn't know what certain words meant before this. I didn't know what anguish was. I didn't know what real loneliness was. I didn't know what it meant to feel hollow. There's sorrow and hurt and guilt and the feeling that you've been abandoned and that somehow you weren't enough. Anger is a hard one for me. If he was here, if he came back, he'd get a piece of my mind, you know? (laughs) This wasn't fair. This wasn't acceptable. But I'd just be, at the same time, so happy. He wasn't himself. And so it's hard to be angry at somebody who wasn't themselves. The end of grief is supposed to be acceptance. And that's not a word I understand in this context. Maybe incorporation is better. I've been trying to find a better word. I can imagine feeling normal again. You know, I can imagine getting to a place that when I think about Carrie or talk about Carrie the happy memories and the woman I am because of him and the things that he taught me or what I think of I don't know how to get out of here to there but I'm told it's possible and it just takes time I recognize my own reluctance to seek new things and push myself because of him Because he added so much to my life by pushing me to do things that I didn't know I could do. It helps to talk. It helps to get things out, to to say things out loud. I've had two really good therapists. One when I was home with my parents over the summer and one since I've moved here. I have an amazing pair of parents who gave birth to me, and I have Carrie's parents who I count as my parents, who have been unfailing in their concern for me and support for me. I have excellent friends, and they've been incredibly attentive. If you're trying to help somebody who is grieving a loss, 
you have to be patient and you have to be pretty sensitive to the moment because there are some times where I really want to talk to people and it could be about anything. There are some times where I just need to be quiet but want to know that people are there. There are some times where I don't want anybody around me and those times can happen in 10 minutes, all three of them. But I think the most important thing is to call and to be there. Some people are afraid, I think, of intruding or not knowing what to say. And that's okay. You know, if that's really your friend, you'll know how to interact with them. I think talking about suicide is difficult for a lot of reasons. One, there's a huge shame factor for everybody who is surviving that person because people judge you if you're a spouse or girlfriend or something they think what was wrong with your relationship why didn't they want to stay there with you what's wrong with you and people judge that person who committed suicide and it's hard to deal with other people's perceptions of you and your loved one And then there's the religious aspect of it. A lot of people, due to their religion, believe that suicide is a mortal sin and that a person is going to hell. I wasn't raised with any particular religion. I don't believe that. But other people do. And I think that makes it hard for them. And the other part of talking about suicide, which is scary for anybody who wants to draw attention to this issue and wants to do something to prevent it, is that there's a certain amount of talking about suicide that gives people who are suicidal permission, that normalizes it somehow, and makes it seem like an option. And that's terrifying. I think that's a big reason why I went back to Oregon. He had just graduated, and a lot of his friends were still in Oregon. And the school wanted to do a memorial. I knew I had to go. I knew I had to go and be there with those people. Partially because they were friends of Carrie's and friends of mine, and I wanted to see them. And partially because even the people I didn't know, I wanted them to see me. I wanted them to see how much it hurt. I wanted them to see that it wasn't an option. I think we have to talk about it. We have to acknowledge that this is a major issue in our society and globally. People are dying all the time. It's something like every 18 minutes somebody commits suicide in the United States. And that's awful. Unless you talk, unless you push, unless you get people's attention, nothing changes. And I think certain things need to change. Carrie committed suicide with a gun. A gun that he bought the same day he used it. And that's crazy to me. It's not okay that people who aren't thinking clearly 
can just go and buy a gun and as much ammunition as they want. And nobody checks. Nobody pauses. Nobody even asks them why. And for most people, suicide is an impulse. And just having some time to wait would make a big difference. And there are other things, too. I think increased access for mental health is huge. (laughs) Programs in schools can make a big difference. It seems like unless we talk about it, then we're stuck. We're stuck with every 18 minutes. One U.S. family is, is devastated. And I know what this is. I know what this feels like. And if there's something I can do to change that for anybody else, I would do it. Because nobody deserves this.